salutations listeners i know it's been a while i've missed you but welcome back to culture meadow algorithms and welcome to our interim show usually we're talking about our media consumption the culture they produce and the society left behind but instead today we're going to be starting our interim show between the seasons discourse now discourse is all about having conversations about the media that we consume because honestly if i'm honest honestly if i'm honest a lot of the fun in well talking about media is having that conversation with other people sure the theory is fun and you can find some interesting things in and around the world around us but let's have a chat so this show is mainly about not the full detailed analyses but the kinds of topics that come up that we can talk about and have wider conversations on about media techs and as promised this first episode is all about this snowpiercer so what exactly is Snowpiercer? What's it about? Well, it's an adaptation on uh, two previous media works. The first is a 2013 film, and then the other goes even further back, and it's a French graphic novel. It's about a train, a train that I see as an allegory of the world, one which attempts to look at class struggle. Now, the funny thing about Snowpiercer is that it is set in a world that has succumbed to climate change. It's set in a world where going outside is so dangerous that there's no chance at life and in fact it's so dangerous if the outside gets inside you're finished it means that the train is more than just the world in a metaphorical sense it actually kind of replicates the world in what we have now i mean if you look at space and the role of earth is to protect us kind of from the outside you know the ozone deteriorates to a level that doesn't protect us anymore we will be at the whims of solar radiation uh, asteroids projectiles debris that we've even put there so snowpiercer is interesting in that aspect because it allows us to look at ourselves through the medium of a television show now this new one came out in 2019 it's on netflix it's actually cast directed produced by netflix and as such it's made a few minor changes from the graphic novel and the movie before it partly because it has to be updated for 2019 and onwards tastes, but also because, well, you you, you can't really pad out a two-hour film into two seasons. So the first season's out, the second season's going to come. So we're just going to talk about the first season primarily here. And hopefully, if Snowpiercer wants to remain true to its roots, it's not going to you know make this entire episode useless. So Let's look at its first major dilemma. And I've had to make a PowerPoint because I kept on missing the notes. Here. I had written down so many notes that I just lost track. So just to give myself some prompts. So here we go. Let's look at the four social classes. So there are four social classes on the train. There's your firsts. First class. These are the people who invested big monies into the train. Okay. These are the people who have essentially benefited from their hereditary wealth they have given themselves a second chance at life and their ancestors are essentially themselves that they've managed to gain inheritance from they have rights to the train that nobody else has they are the cream of the crop the top of our social pyramid they have rights to voting to changing law they have governance they have government they have the ear of mr wilford himself and mr wilford i'd argue makes a fifth class but he is a a man above all he is uh, uh, he is god in human form to these people because the firsts gave mr wilford a lot of money in the form of purchasing a ticket to make sure that this train ran smoothly and uh, ensured them a chance at survival 
so 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 the first half are a bunch of entitled so and so's but they're not the only people on the train and that comes on to our second group the seconds now the seconds are what i would consider our small business owners these are people who run a lot of the retail outlets that are on the train and i do have to say retail with a bit of an asterisk because well, there doesn't seem to be any sort of formal economy in Snowpiercer. At least it's heavily implied not to be. What it does seem to have is a token system that seems to be exchanged for rations. I don't know how these rations are given out. I don't know if everyone gets one and they get, you know, free tokens a day for free square meals. That is if you're a ticket holder and you get to use it whenever you want and you get a few drinks tokens here and there. Or if you prepaid everything from before the apocalypse, I'm not too sure that hasn't been addressed, but there is a some sort of you know small business ownership now these people give themselves credit to be on the train they i'd say your administrators they they run those food stalls and some other administerial work um such as the schools for one i'm not sure if that's actually you know administration roles but hey that's is what it is but um yeah they seem to they, they seem to justify themselves on the train unlike first who kind of are just there for a, an easy ride who they bought their way into the top of the train's social hierarchy and have allowed to stay there now thirds are probably the most interesting class they are a working class they are the salt of the earth the people that have been you know in our current society commodified that you know their work is so well valued that work itself has been commodified and that is are working class people the people who make sure that the train runs they make sure these are the people who get all of the nasty jobs they they're cleaners they're caterers they are people you need to make sure everything keeps running and, and it gets to a point where they are so upset with their social condition on the train that they take a strike and within a matter of hours the train that mr wilford so meticulously allegedly planned for and well unfortunately didn't build that well seems to be falling apart so yeah working class the third class they are, are they are probably the most useful people on the train however they're not the lowest and we get into our most interesting people the tailies so who are the tailies well the tailies are i'd like to say an allegory for our seemingly never-ending cycles of refugee crises these are people who didn't manage to buy their way onto the train or um, make an application where their work could be supplemented instead of a ticket they are despised they are completely reliant on the whims and whatever remaining goodwill is of the people up the train particularly those in second and first they are the boogeyman they are well the last buck you know, without the tailies, not the worst of the worst jobs would have to go to third. So I think third have managed to use tailies as a, you know a sort of a butt of a joke where they they clean sanitation, they they clean out human waste, and it seems to be their only job because they smell so bad. It's their only chance at getting a shower or some sort of cleaning if they volunteer to do that job. So the tailies, they're in a real bad pickle. They are well they don't have any they don't even have a light source let's put it that way they are reliant if they want to see the outside they are reliant on a tiny gap in the train a gap so small that it seems to i don't know i don't know if someone engineered a little magnifying looking glass kind of thing going on um it's how they get to keep the time that's how bad it is they are in a luggage compartment on the train that i don't know how they managed to get themselves situated into but if the graphic novel and 
movie are to be believed they make up the largest percentage of people on the train and that makes me it's kind of you know, kind of and partly what makes me uh, call them refugees because well if the largest population of our current earth live in the global south and they live below what the west would consider a poverty line then the tailies being on the train and make a, a, a parallel with how refugees are um, depicted in our mainstream news media as people who bum rush essentially borders who um, break refugee laws and international law whatever you know various laws that um certain nationalists want to make the argument for tailies are the people who needed to be on the train arguably the most but they just weren't given a chance to now in the netflix adaptation they are basically well nothing more than chances who were in chicago at the right place at the right time and they got onto the train and a lot of them died making a rush for the train they suffered they suffered really badly and as such there's a completely different social structure that goes on inside the tail for example when people leave the tail and there's some sort of um uh, class maneuverability you know social mobility as we like to call it here in the uk there's a sense of social mobility available to tailies but well everyone on the train but it's not exactly easy to get out of and we see how disregarded tailies are when marriages that existed before the apocalypse or unions that have been established during the the nine year seven year period sorry that exists in the tail they're essentially nullified the moment they, they leave the tail and it brings on to one of my first talking points and that is how we here in the west consider ritual or tribal or religious ceremonies of marriage back home back in the colonies uh, these are people whose relationships are invalidated when they come over to the UK and quite often the rights given to couples are stripped of them because a certain level of paperwork, administerial care, uh, rigmarole, I don't know what to call it, hasn't been afforded to them. So there's an interesting dilemma there in the social disregard of Taylor's sense of choice let's argue they're also and i said earlier very much at the whim of what little goodwill exists in the rest of the train and the dilemma with that is that because they have no resources of their own they boarded the train with basically the clothes on their back and not much else they are at the mercy of the train providing them food and it brings us to the second point and that is well how on earth is the tail supposed to survive if the tail isn't given the resources to survive and what makes it worse is that the tail are treated like dirt because they haven't afforded a ticket pre-apocalypse and as such they're fed these protein bars on a ration that doesn't seem to always be fair doesn't always seem to be consistent and as such the tails are forced to well breed and eat rats as their main source of protein main reliable source of protein so as I'm watching the show, my first big question that kind of arises is, well, why don't they get rid of the tail? And it actually reminds me of a horrible conversation I've ended up having to have, and that is our whole conversation that we've been, well, reminded of since David Attenborough joined Instagram, and that is, well, why do certain people believe in eugenics or population control? And it's a big dilemma that the tailies seem to facilitate a conversation of because well nobody on the train wants them there however nobody on the train is willing to truly get rid of them even if they will take measures that make the tailies very much aware that they will be cut off if anything goes south i mean if there's 
a power shortage, a food shortage, water shortage, if the heat starts to go a little bit too cool, the tailies are going to be the first ones to get the rations. They're the first ones to have their supplies cut off and the tailies are very much aware of it. And as such, they've been staging a revolution, which actually brings me on to our next slide, which is this, the class struggle. Now, Snowpiercer is very much a class reductions tale. It very much talks about class in a way that says that, well, heavily implies that without class, there wouldn't be injustice. Now, as someone who lives in a nation where something such as protected characteristics exist, and you look at that list and poverty isn't on there, I quickly realised that this text feels out of place because it's not something I can relate to with sound or fair criticism. So um, I, I struggle with that class reductionist kind of theme that runs through the show however what the show loves to do is build tension towards this revolution and the revolution is kind of a, a, a two-part interesting uh, thing to break down because first revolutions are spoken of as cycles of year so it's a, it's a period of time revolution is also the more traditional way that we know it of as a an upheaval of government control an upheaval of um, governance and what the show attempts to argue is that if the lowest classes, the largest population of the world, join together, and in this case it's the third and the tail, if they join together, they can bring about a revolution that is more fair and more complete for everybody involved in the train, and as the train is an allegory of the world, the rest of the world. So if you approach this film with some lens of Marxist critique, you can find some level of, of good critique to take here. I mean, the third sees the means of production and everyone else on the train realise that the thirds are very much necessary. I mean, the train almost collapses and if it isn't for extenuating circumstances, the strike would have continued for an unknown amount of time. But the dilemma in this is that it actually ends up creating a different problem altogether. And that is this, a supremacy in job. Now, Leighton is one of the protagonists of the of the of the series in fact he's the main protagonist for except for a few episodes where he's literally rendered unconscious now the interesting thing about Leighton is that his appearance in the show and the, the story and the narrative that they build around him ends up showing how broken the system is way more than the class structure is at all for no job seems to do the job of another and all of the jobs on the train are considered necessary yet there is still a supremacy in jobs so much so that they haven't really broken of the old world mentality where Leighton Kane comes onto the scene as a detective and immediately his presence breaks the logic of the train and that is why do they have brakemen in the first place because well brakemen are poised as these policemen-esque figures on the train they don't have to check tickets they're not inspectors i mean everyone on the train that they know of should be in their rightful place yet brakeman exists to keep order in a non-military um fashion and not in a non-military space they exist simply to keep control and they exist for the people they're not like the personal bodyguards that the people in the first have and 
basically they keep the rule of law on the train there is a guidebook now Leighton comes on and he's a detective however he is immediately considered far more important than all of the other brakemen on the job he's given free reign on the train he can go into almost any cabin almost any class investigate a murder that allegedly has either a copycat killer or has a serial killer and i made me question what was the purpose of the brakeman in the first place as a police force if you weren't going to train them to investigate murders at the same time you wouldn't have a peacekeeping or civil yes civil force keeping force <laughs> presence but not train them how to investigate a murder this this train is so you know happy-go-lucky thinking that it doesn't think that anyone's going to murder anyone else on a train and it's a dilemma that Leighton in the show addresses it's a, a bit of a fourth wall break I would think but Leighton and his sense of social mobility at least fluidly makes it clear that not everyone in the train and their role in the train is considered equally important and it becomes a very big dilemma when you have someone going up and down all of the classes and is essentially forbidden from going ever going back to the tail. That becomes a problem because they are somewhat aware of a revolution on its way. And there's, if you go back to that class struggle, there's a there's a, there's a sense that tailies will progress up the ranks in the very limited limited capacity that they can and do. And when they do, they hold a sense of solidarity with their people in the tail for that when the revolution comes, they will be depended on. It doesn't always work out like that. And the same happens here in the supremacy of jobs because teachers, while it's necessary, aren't really seen of any sort of, well, love. <laughs> they kind of just exist. Sanitation are very much relegated to the worst jobs um, considered by the worst people. So much so that people have, are called to have had a smell or a look to them if they do a certain job and they will be snubbed for it. They won't be allowed into certain spaces on the train. They will be talked about in hushed tones and behind people's backs and it gets very, very messy. So whilst the narrative of Snowpiercer wants to look at class struggle, I'm willing to argue that it actually ends up undoing its own work by not recognizing the importance the classes themselves have in maintaining not only social order but social civility and i know it sounds like i'm saying you know what keep to your 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 lane there shouldn't be social mobility but maybe i'm getting mixed up here in this kind of like going from the top format but i am going to say that in recognizing the importance of each job that revolution that then goes on to happen in the show um, somewhat successfully but not quite successfully what ends up happening is that people forget who is necessary and who isn't and people forget about what they were supposed to be doing when the revolution happened that was meant to bring out bring about a more civilized fairer society and what you end up happening is that because of the social stigma attached to certain jobs people don't want to do them anymore the tailies move up they get a successful revolution going and they're not doing sanitation anymore so there's an, there's an implied backlog of um work not being done on the train um people don't want to contribute to the the fragile ecosystem that the the train has carefully facilitated 
And so it's essentially it's a it's a byproduct of the train's own failed design. But speaking of jobs and how the world is represented in Snowpiercer, so let's actually look at representation and the three main representations that exist on the, on this train. Now, Snowpiercer, like I said earlier, is a very is a class reductionist take on our society. It, it, it's trying to argue it's best that what we need is class solidarity in order to mend the injustices injustices of the world. So much so that it considers and then throws out the window, but then brings it back to pander to three different, very important representations that exist in our pre-apocalypse world, our pre-racial, our pre-feminist, our our pre-actually, what's the equivalent of um, LGBT rights? I don't know. What is it? Because, yeah, basically, what I'm trying to say is that the show argues that it's a post-feminist, post-race, post-racial, post sexual equality text and it's not and it's not and i'll tell you why because our next conversation topic is how gay men particularly in this text are pictured now there's a conversation to be had here using snowpiercer as you know the gay for the gay for pay trope that comes up in gay porn but also in conversations that some gay men think that they can turn or are attracted to straight men but what the show does is it uses that conversation or those talking points and makes the mistake of putting it into a power structure because there is a gentleman or a young man a young boy we're not really too sure on his on his name he's a tailie and because there isn't a sense of capital in the show there's that ration system i talked about earlier the only thing he has left to sell is himself now, I'm not going to say that this should be a defense of capitalism. In fact, if I was ever going to do that, it'd probably be a separate video or even a separate episode. But what it does argue is that how he gets medicine for not even himself, this is for someone else he ends up selling himself for, basically, is it's done by someone who has a system of power over him as someone who has no power at all. I mean, he's a tailie, so like I said, he doesn't even have access to food on a regular basis or sanitation that he gets to, to own um who is he we uh, it's a question i don't really know how to answer because he is in the sense of the show as a tailie he's no one what ends up happening is that you see people doing what they need to do in order to, to survive and it unfortunately draws a parallel to the misconduct that un soldiers have in refugee camps but where they essentially force young children to perform sexual acts on them in order to give them food water rations whatever they need medicine in order to survive in the camps and the show the show touches on that and the gay for pay conversation and it just pretends it doesn't exist which is really interesting because there are other moments where people are trading sexual favors in the train on the train for other things so there's a scene where a chip has been passed on i think it's about i don't know i think i lost count of like 19 people where they are they're trading this this chip and the only thing they can do is you know it's not necessarily through through financial capital in a traditional sense but one of the acts is is sexual and it gets passed to him because he completes a sexual act for someone else and it just leaves it it just walks away from it just goes okay blah 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 forget about it there's one main lesbian relationship in the show and it's immediately broken 
and it doesn't really justify why it's kind of just in, argued that this person because because okay, so what happens what happens in the show and i'm because of the conversation it's a little bit difficult to be me telling you what's happened and then saying hey, let's talk about it but what happens basically is these two people move in together they seem to be making a commitment a long-term commitment to one another then either that night that week very soon after there is a lockdown on the train because there's a manhunt for an active murderer the person doesn't come back they go on shift the next day they then try to go home after it's then a fight even though it was a train-wide lockdown that even the part the party who was affected knows about and then they break up later on well they're they're broken up and then that broke breakup is solidified when the revolution happens and it turns out that the two people move together one is going to be a brakeman is going to well basically break their brakeman role and side of the tailies and third and the other person's going to remain in their class so they have class solidarity with those in second and there's a clash there ironically (laughs) so they break up and it's like okay um i guess you know lesbians get their two minutes of representation and everyone gets to clap it's very bizarre the other now for bi characters what is very interesting is that there's an implied level of bisexuality on the train and that's because there's, there's this commune that exists on the train and um it's comprised of people who have fallen out of second and people who have come up from the tale and there's those who are kind of disillusioned with everything that's going on and they've existed in in third and they've made this system where yeah it's kind of implied that everyone's poly and everyone is everyone everyone's either poly or bi or if they have um if they are if they are maintaining heteronormative standards of their own sexuality they're very much sharing their partners and what's interesting is that they have one character and it's late it's Leighton's ex-wife and it's a conversation i kind of touched on earlier where where people from the tale go up and their their relationships are, are nullified or annulled um that Leighton's wife is in a is in the commune it's heavily implied that she's sharing her cabin with other people yet the moment Leighton is allowed to see her her commitments to the other people are almost implicitly destroyed and then from there she has the hots for Leighton but no other woman even though it's implied that she's with a woman and it doesn't really make much sense so she's technically bi but her application of her bi-ness she was almost like doing it for an experiment is it's completely bizarre because she tries to recommit with Leighton and Leighton's kind of on it but then they break it off and then they break up and then she's kind of just like lonely but straight for Leighton she's not with anyone and it's kind of like this doesn't make sense um I get the I get they I guess I guess the one bit of agency they're giving her is that she's not going to be with anybody um, at least temporarily but it's a very bizarre scenario because it doesn't seem to be a conflict in her her emotional attachments for the years that she's not been with Leighton and then Leighton returns and she has to kind of re-explore her feelings and her sense of self with Leighton because yeah it's just it's horrible it's pandering yeah all three have been poor moments i'd say in judgment in representation on this train because as i argue that's meant to be like this whole everything could be fine if we get class solidarity there's still homophobia on the train 
there's still people who don't like seeing the lesbian couple together they don't like seeing Osweiler kind of getting his rocks off with other men and then the the you know bi people are or, or bi person is one person and their relationships with anybody else on the train are heavily fractured and then with trans characters i think there's one i think there's one person who works in a night car a heavily sexualized yet it's almost backtracked to only be implicitly sexualized because it's meant to be like this memory room that people don't have sex in but people are allowed to have sex in there and they have sex in there whatever there's then yeah there's like one trans character but then it could be a femme presenting man or someone in drag it's unclear um i think for the sake of trying to get everyone covered in lgbt representation on the show i think they've coded that character as trans so i'm going to say she's trans in the show again pandering i think she has two lines in the whole show the whole first season um and i check the imdb and she doesn't appear again so pff, yeah sucks to be her now on the matter of gender gender is a very interesting representation because it seems as though the the writers of the show thought about this representation and one of the great questions i think comes up is in with one of the main characters melanie now melanie is an imposter on the train it's not among us but she's an imposter on the train an imposter in terms of she is the designer she put in the hard work she's the great she's the true great mind that makes the train work however she feels slighted and has kind of cut out mr will ford as this not on the train he's not he's not running the circus that is this absolutely diabolical train she's a she's a stem major okay we've got women in stem going on here okay shows unapologetic about that so wilford is kind of sold as this generic mandy pandy salesman he just sells the tickets okay that's all he's got that's all he's good for she kicks him out she leaves him at the station left for dust and what happens is that as she takes on she takes on the personality or the role of mr wilford and it creates it raises a great question of if this is a post feminist world where gender equality has been achieved why is she impersonating a man because it's implied that she's the man because it gives her a level of authority that the rest of the train would accept now i also understand that because she's you know engaged in some level of subterfuge there and some level of of naughty behavior that it's a it's a ruse in order to make sure that that the the peace and solidarity and cohesion of the train exists but it does raise the question of is there true gender equality in this post everything world yet the main character who exists has to be someone she's not and there's a counter to that because ruth is the second in command and ruth is poised to be the next leader of the train and it's by committee decision really is the first have um ruth's vote or well they've kind of engineered a coup ruth has their ear and it kind of goes back to the um the supremacy in jobs because they work in hospitality and hospitality are, are the ones who have true control of the train they're the ones that truly keep peace not the brakeman because if there's a real issue it's hospitality dealing with it to make sure everyone's happy you know customer comes first kind of thing so yeah ruth she's the second in command in hospitality she ends up being the, the face of the coup but her sexuality 
and I guess womanliness is used against her in order to get this coup started. Now, what's interesting is that both Melanie and Ruth are written as very interesting characters. They've got depth to them. Ruth, whilst second in command and, well, in the shadow of Melanie, is noticeable because of her loyalty to the ideal of what the train is or represents or could be. And as such, she doesn't, you know, just side with the, the, the coup because, oh, I'm in love with the military man. I love a man in uniform. It's none of that. It's because Melanie actually screws her over. It's a moment of high pressure. Melanie screws over Ruth, uh, allegedly a long line of, of slights that Ruth has got. She's got to the end of her tether and she joins the, she joins the coup. And it's very interesting because it may, it gives Ruth personal motivations for what she does. And all of the women in the show have personal motivations for what they do, whether that is moving in with your with your partner, whether that is joining the coup, whether that is uh, taking up a job in electrics if your name is Lights, whether that is taking on children under your wing uh, in engineering. All of the women have motivations that are explained within the text itself. We don't have to, you know, imagine why these characters have to, to think of Um, motivations for what they're doing in fact it's one of the few good points i have to give because the gender representation i would argue is pretty good again there are there's a good spectrum of good women and bad women we'll get onto one of the bad women later and like the men there's a good spectrum of bad men and good men in the show but race is where it gets very interesting because if you look at it if you look at it a little bit closely a little bit too closely you notice that there's a bit of a pattern and that is whilst layton is the main character and he's a black man and he has complete and utter social mobility in the show a lot of the black people are in the tail don't get me wrong there are some in the third there are some in second working in the cafeteria there is i think one black family or a few black family members in first and the main um culprit or the main bodyguard sorry slip for the tongue there and the main bodyguard is a black man However, the two earliest murderers in the show are black men. I don't know if that's a coincidence, but it's an unfortunate one if it is. And you go, okay, it's post, it's a post-racial text, right? Race doesn't matter in this text. And then you go, but then why are why are other races featured not so heavily in the tale? There's there's Asians in um, in the first, second, and third. There's um white people all around there's a, there's a good spread of people and then it makes me go well if it's a post-racial text it kind of gets a little bit tentative in why there aren't any black people mo- like moving upwards because i am willing to concede that if it's meant to be our current world and the tale consists of the largest population of the earth and a lot of black people are in the lowest socio-economic category or categorization then it makes sense that there's a lot of black people in the tail but then why are they not moving upwards when given the chance to so there's just that that question and then Leighton again he's given he's given his chance to move up um, in a way that it doesn't matter about his race so it's a tough one the, t- the, 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 the race representations are very very you know tough to come to terms with because you do have to kind of make sense of it. And I'm realizing the time is. So I'm going to move on to this last slide. This last slide. And that is to not forget about LJ. Now, I kind of touched on LJ being 
one of the bad girls in the show, one of the bad women. Now, the problem with LJ isn't necessarily that she's a bad woman and therefore her representation in the show is a, a smear, a horrible smear on women and their representations in Snowpiercer. Her problem, and the reason I had to put her out specifically, is that LJ is a traditional mindless psychopath who's out to kill everybody. And that's a little bit of a problem in a wider sense as to how people with mental health issues, episodes, or poor mental health more generally, are are pictured in media texts. It's a massive problem. LJ being a manipulative killer is a little bit hard to swallow particularly when you don't address or the show doesn't really address why she feels capable of murdering in the first place because truthfully i wouldn't even argue it's her mental health issues that cause her to drive to murderous rage or murderous manipulation it's the fact that she's an enabled rich kid who has never been told no so much so that when she took her own father's eye out it seemed to be nothing so lj lj and her entire narrative you know plot point is a massive dilemma that i hope that they kind of you know at least address somewhat in the second season because she very happily sends her her, her parents to not even the gulag to their deaths to their their frozen and very icicle deaths and it's um you know she sent her she sent her parents off to be popsicles it's awkward but then we have to address that weird paedophilic implied relationship that she has with eric the, the murderer that causes the lockdown that causes the lgbt pandering in the first place so lj 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 Honestly, there's definitely a great conversation to be had here as another talking point about how a lot of young girls are sexualized by older men who are put into positions of power and who are supposed to look after them. Snowpiercer brings it up and it doesn't address it at all. It's kind of just implied that, okay, you know what, Eric, we brought Eric on. We loved Eric as a, as a son of our own. It said that we trained him or hired him to be a, a complicit killer and do whatever we tell him to do. He's a servant of us and he looks after LJ and despite him having no real agency, he is expected to have a consensual relationship with LJ. So now there's a completely weird dynamic that the show brings up in power in what Eric's role is to this family and LJ. Also, what makes it awkward is that in bringing up this power dynamic, it then implies a level of of trade has has, has happened. We don't even know the truth. We don't even know if Eric does it because he's in love with LJ or if he does it because he thinks it's his job. It's such a weird dynamic that the show should address because Eric either dies a paedophile who does horrible, horrible things or he dies as a tool that was viciously manipulated into doing some horribly graphic things. That actually sets off the whole motion of the season. So... LJ is a very interesting what I would call narrative catalyst that without her a lot of the things in the story wouldn't exist. Without LJ later never gets out of of the tale. He never manages to sow discord among those in the third and the night car in second. He never manages to get put into the drawers and is forced to be rescued by other people in the tale who are getting even more agitated about their social situation and he doesn't 
end up forcing a trial which the the, the first get upset about then the seconds get some form of um justice or representation in justice that then sows even more discord in the train that then leads to the coup so without lj a lot of this, this season doesn't exist which makes the payoff the final payoff brutally horrible to swallow it's a very pitter pill to swallow because the revolution happens it's semi-successful order is somewhat being restored and a new equilibrium is being established the tail have some form of representation they have a taste of luxury and stable food and clean water for a bit and Leighton as this new uh, power inside the train this new man god that exists post melanie's um, deception is discovered and then wilford just turns up he just turns up and the whole thing's just 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 it's all done and dusted he's bringing back the old ways he's a old corrupt absolutely unhinged source of power that the show just says you're gonna have to deal with now and i don't know how to deal with that i don't know is that, is that meant to be some sort of allegory for you know u.s interventional policy that happens in countries where socialist uprising happens i don't know i don't know so season two is going to be all about how successful the the, the coup of mr wills mr wilford happens and honestly i don't know if i'm looking forward to looking forward to it playing out i hope it goes well and i'm probably going to tune in um i'm i'm not gonna leave a review because what i am going to do is wrap up this episode so thank you very much for watching make sure that if you want to see more from me um you stay locked in to a culture of algorithms there'll be another episode coming out soon i think we're going to talk about the get down i think i've got a few episodes on saga a comic book that has been on hiatus for two years now i don't know when it's going to come back but we've got episodes about that we've got a conversation about fallout 4 to be had we've got conversations about lots of things that i'm really excited to talk about so we're going to talk about movies films comic books songs there's so much that we can have conversations on here in discourse so i look forward to seeing you in the future i am excited to be back and um i look forward to seeing you in the next episode take care everybody stay safe Bye.